Isn't God just so good? I mean, he is just, he's just so incredible. It's, you know, the, the further I go in this thing, it's like, it's like preaching seems, even just the word preaching just seems so, just not holy. It's like, I just want to talk about him. Because sometimes our preaching can get in the way of him. It's kind of like when you were in school. Do you remember doing a book report? I hated that. Standing up in front of the class. And a lot of preaching is just like a book report. We just read the thoughts of what other people have said and, and just echo. God isn't looking for an echo. He's looking for a voice. It's not an echo in the wilderness that God is looking for. It's a voice crying out in the wilderness. And when you've encountered him, you're content to be in the wilderness and be a voice. Then be an echo in the courts of kings. I was praying about John the Baptist. And he ate locusts and honey. <laughs> It's kind of weird. But you know what I've found? If you find something weird in the Bible, uh, there's a reason why it's there. <laughs> and locusts were a picture of judgment. That he was eating the thing that was eating the fields. That the judgment becomes the provision. And just to put a little honey on it, he made it sweet. <laughs> that when we look at the cross, it looks like a judgment. But God says, no, the judgment is the provision and I'm going to make it sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So the locust has been judged. <laughs> the locust has been judged. That's why Jesus said the fields are white for harvest. I just need some laborers. So God, give us perception to get beyond our myopic view of our own ways and our own singular focused ways of seeing things, God, and change our perspective to see the fields white and the harvest plentiful, God. Change our perspective today, God. What we see as judgment is actually provision for us. And you've made it sweet as honey. That you provide for us in the wilderness. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. My eyes have seen the glory, and I've been ruined by him. <laughs> There's no going back for me, okay? <laughs> and once you've gotten a glimpse of the throne room and the king, there is no going back. Status quo won't do. 
And so the invitation that I want to give everybody here tonight is to understand something about this Jesus and how beautiful he is, how wonderful he is, and the place that he has secured us in so that we never have to leave his presence. That God's heart is all about removing anything that would separate us from him. It's why God will sometimes break your fingers to get you to let go of something that's killing you. Because he cares more about your heart than he does your fingers. Or your bank account. Huh? He wants you. And we have such a uh, wrong view of God that we always say, God, I hope you use me. What? Think if I said that about my wife. Em, I hope you use me. Like, that's just, ugh, okay? God doesn't want to use you. He wants to love you, set you on fire by showing you how wonderful he is, and then turn you loose and say, be a witness unto this glory. But that's what God is wanting to do. And so I hope I can give you a glimpse of that today by talking about how wonderful he is and how glorious he is. Do you know something that we were made in the image of God? Wow, the image of God. But not us alone, us and someone else. It, it's, it's, it's kind of bizarre. It's like when God said in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he said, let us make Male and female in our own image. Okay. God had said, let there be light, let there be, let there be. But when it came to humanity, he said, let us. In other words, you are the plan and the contemplation of God and his heart. But it's not just Adam made in God's image. If you read the scripture, it says, he created them, male and female, he created them. It's like to get the image of God, you have to have male and you've got to have female. Yeah. It's that out of Adam's side, and we translate it rib. That's a really horrible translation, but when you're, you know, in the 1600s and trying to figure out Hebrew, it's probably pretty difficult to figure out how to translate side. But side was in the Hebrew is actually uh, another word that meant that inside of Adam, God took out the feminine side of Adam so that he wouldn't be complete in and of himself and made another being that would complement him and to bring him into the reality of what it's like to experience relationship the way God had. So the two become one flesh. Just like father, the only way I can know love is I've got to have somebody else in the picture, right? So that's why God reveals himself to us in a multiplicity of persons, father, son, Holy Spirit. Because God is that multiplicity of three being one, he creates man in his image, male and female, he creates them. 
So without both parties, we can't get the full picture of God. So as God in and of himself is a trinity, he creates a trinity. But he has male, female, and then him being the third member of that beautiful trinity. And through that intimacy and union, we have children. Can I get amen from somebody? Amen. Amen. And without intimacy, there is no children. And without that image. So I just want to honor women today and your ability to nurture because you are important. And without you, we can't see the whole picture of God in the earth. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'm going to go ahead and say it. It's why when God cuts covenant with Abraham, and in Genesis 17, he reveals to God, or reveals to Abraham, a new name. He reveals himself to Abraham when he's getting ready to, to reestablish his covenant with him. Now, now Abraham, Abraham's kind of messed up a little bit, right? He, he, he followed his wife's advice and, and tried to lay with a concubine. And, and I can't prove this in Scripture, but you know what I think what was going on there? Because what wife would want to do that? Here's what was going on there. She wanted to show Abraham it wasn't her fault. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and this is what happens when we enter into seasons of unfruitfulness. We want to make it somebody else's fault, the reason that we're not unfruitful. Instead of waiting upon the Lord and letting him orchestrate the things by coming into relationship with him. Because when you're ready to go out and make an impact, if you don't know who he is, what are you going to tell somebody? You're going to give them the wrong image and wrong view of God. So Abraham gets set down by God and he reveals himself as El Shaddai. First time, Genesis 17. El Shaddai. Now that word's got a lot of different meanings and a lot of different things tangled up in it. And one of them is, is that it would declare that God's the sovereign judge. In other words, he's got this. Okay, go ahead and touch your neighbor and say, he's got this, okay? okay. He, he, yeah, he's got this, okay? Yeah, yeah, he's got this. That God is the sovereign judge, and when we take matters in our own hands, we end up getting in his way and not helping things at all. It also has a connotation of God being a Lord of hosts, a Lord of armies, and an, an almighty God that is just all powerful. And so he's confirming some things to Abraham. Abraham, I don't need your help. Matter of fact, I need even the most private place of you through circumcision so that you'll be reminded, don't operate in your own strength, but operate into the promises of God. And that if I don't have the most private area of your life, I've got nothing. Yeah. Now there's a third meeting in here, so I need everybody to not go junior high on me, okay? <laughs> the root for Shaddai comes from the Hebrew word shad, which means breast. 
So what he's revealing is I'm not only going to be the one who is the sovereign judge, and I'll take care of all these nations. Don't you worry about them. He's not only declaring to him that he's all-powerful and the Lord of hosts. He's saying, I will nurture you and every generation after you, and I will pull you in like a mother and take care of you. There's a multiplicity to the beauty and the nature of God. And we're going to spend all eternity learning about who he is. And guess what? We'll never stop learning new things about how beautiful and wonderful he is. So I want to say that male and female, it takes both of us in unity to show the picture of God. To show the true image of God. And so, ladies, I just want to empower you today and just tell you, God loves you. And you are not second place. You are not second fiddle that we are all in this thing together. And God wants to use you mightily in your families. And guess what? It's never too late. If you're breathing air, God's still got a purpose for your life. (laughs) He's still got a purpose for your life. All right, so we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 6, and I just got hit with this. You ever just been in church, and then God hits you with an idea, and then you just tune out the whole sermon, and you just run with that idea? I think Tim gets his best sermons during my sermon. What's going on with this? That's the truth. Come on, man. Don't sermonize while I'm sermonizing, okay? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I love that because when uh, Revelation's high, people are grabbing all kinds of stuff and running with it. And so I love that environment where you walk out full and fed and say, man, I'm going to be chewing on that all week and let it digest in your life. But yeah, I was in district council this week and uh, was sitting there and listening to the sermon and the Lord just would not let, I just couldn't drop this this theme of hope and just how beautiful it is and what God, uh, what God has secured through us through his son, Jesus. But Hebrews chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 17. Hebrews 6, verse 17. says this, In the same way God wanted to demonstrate more clearly to the heirs of the promise that his purpose was unchangeable. And so he intervened with an oath. So that we who have found refuge in him may find strong encouragement. (laughs) Come on, just look at somebody and say, strong encouragement. To hold fast to the hope set before us. Through two unchangeable things. You ready? (laughs) Since it is impossible for God to lie. (laughs) We have this hope (laughs) as an anchor for the soul. (laughs) Come on. Sure and steadfast. Now get where this, this is just where it gets really wild for me. Which reaches inside behind the curtain. 
where Jesus, our forerunner, entered on our behalf since he became priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Did you get that? That this hope reaches inside behind a curtain where Jesus, our forerunner, and how many of you know if there is a forerunner, something's going to be coming in behind him. (laughs) Our forerunner who is leading us the tracks to where we need to be and where we are and where we're going behind the curtain. He entered on our behalf and is our priest forever. In other words, he ain't going nowhere. He ain't going anywhere. That he's anchored us into a place that is holy, that is sacred, and that is behind this curtain. Now, this curtain in reference was much more glorious than this shower curtain, okay? (laughs) But to make the point, uh, you know, we're just going to go for it here, okay? Yeah, high budgets around here. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so imagine with me, okay? The curtain in reference here, and what the book of Hebrews is all about is it's written to the Hebrews to show that Jesus is better, Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is establishing a better covenant. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is this. Jesus is better. So the whole book is about what Jesus has done is better than anything Moses, Abraham, or anyone else has ever done. It's like Jesus is the final priest. He is the final angel of the Lord. He's the final. He's just the final end all, be all everything. He is just better. And so in reference to this curtain was this curtain that was in the temple of God. And this temple that was in the temple of God separated men from the presence of God. Now, behind this curtain in the temple, because the temple was set up, and we'll just kind of roughly, there's the outer courts, there's the inner courts, the brazen altar, and then there is the holy place. But then there's this one place that only one person can go once a year, and it's called the holiest place. And it is a perfect cube, and separating the Ark of the Covenant, which is a small box and that is wood and overlaid with gold which is has two cherubims on the top and staves and and rings where staves go through where they could be carried on the shoulders of his people but that's a sermon for another week probably next week Uh, but the two wings of these two cherubim these angels are are touching each other uh, opposite one another and that place in the middle is called the mercy seat and so oh yeah mercy seat that sounds good I want to sit there and so the High priests would offer this perfect sacrifice of this unblemished creature and would then go through the veil to present this offering on behalf of the sins of the people only once a year and would enter into the holiest place. And if the offer was accepted, the priest 
lived and was able to come out and declare to the people, God accepted our offerings and our sins have been put away for another year. It was kind of like, until next time, God. Uh, I think that they might have had... Uh, the religion that some of us have, you know, like Easter, like let's go to church on Easter, right? Like, like this was Old Testament pictures here of one time in the presence of God, but only one man could report on that thing. And so this curtain, this veil that was between the presence of God, the very place of God, everything in the holy place was to represent the picture of what it looked like in heaven. There was cherubim. Uh, there, were, there were all these things. It's a picture. It's basically saying that this is our connection from heaven that is here on the earth. It's why the Lord says that, that heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Well, where is that footstool at? It's in the holiest place behind the curtain that only one person that had been sanctified and cleansed and meets the proper requirements with the proper sacrifice can go into once a year. So this curtain wasn't just uh, something like this. This curtain was something else. This curtain was woven with, with blue yarn and scarlet yarn and, and where the blue and the scarlet would come together, it would make purple. And so there's pictures here of royalty and, and all kinds of things. This, the, the dye that they had to get to, to make this curtain this certain way, it took like over 10,000 of this certain breed of snails to get the proper color uh, to make this thing because it was to point us to some kind of royalty, some kind of special place. This was, this was something that was, that was really uh, uh, separating something so precious behind it that it was really trying to paint that picture of how beautiful and wonderful. And within the, the weave of this thread, there were cherubim on the, so everything was to be a reminder that you don't just get into this place by accident, that you've got to be appointed to get into this place and to enter in behind this veil. That the veil itself was about 30 feet to 60 feet tall and 30 feet Long. I mean, this was, and it was a hand's breadth thick. So about four or five inches thick was this curtain. Uh, some uh, rabbinic literature said it took over 300 people to hang it up because it was something. So something that thick, you don't just stumble into. Uh, you know, you're going to have to dip your shoulder and uh, press on through if you're going to get through uh, this veil, you're not going to get into it by accident, not this place, no. This place is, is a special place. And this was a sacred picture on earth of how it was in heaven. And that's what God's trying to do. We're all trying to get to heaven. You know what God's trying to do? Try to get heaven to earth. He doesn't give these pictures for us to look there. He gives us these pictures so we'll bring it here. Okay? That's what he's looking for, okay? And it takes a brave soul to do that because everybody's wanting to escape everything. And I don't know why we're trying to escape. We got heaven. Let's just go out into the world and be heaven, okay? Uh, no need to operate in fear. I mean, we got this thing. We've already won. So why don't we act like we've already won and just go on and get through the bell? Getting ahead of myself, okay. So this is a beautiful picture of representation. Now, something interesting happened to this curtain 
when Jesus died on the cross. Do you remember? Oh, man, it got torn. Now, the Greek word for the veil being ripped in that moment when Jesus was on the cross is the same word that the biblical authors use for open when Jesus was baptized. Do you remember that beautiful moment? And it says, the heavens open and the voice of the Father. Uh, opened is not really the word that should have been used there because it's the same word as when the veil was torn. It was that God torn open the firmament and then opened the heavens and spoke, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So this is a picture of Isaiah when Isaiah said, rend the heavens, O God, and come down, is that there's language picture here of I'm ripping the firmament, I'm ripping the separation between you and God, and I'm creating sons and daughters and sonship through this man Christ Jesus to bring people near in relationship with me. Jesus never preached a sermon, never did a miracle, never did anything. And his father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Why? Because if we don't establish identity before works, we'll do them in vain and we'll be servant-hearted and not sonship-hearted. God isn't calling you to be a servant. He's calling you to be a son or a daughter. And here's what that means. With more blessing comes more responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. We think when the blessing of God gets on us, we're just going to have all this free time and, and all these finances just to do whatever we want to do. No, when the blessing of God's on you, more responsibility is on you. And if he can't trust you with that, how's he going to trust you with more? You're saying more, Lord, and he's saying, I want more of you. <laughs> Give me more of you so you can handle more of me. Yeah. So he tells him, open, rip. Now this curtain, so remember, it's a five, hand breadth thick. It's 30 to 60 feet tall and 30 feet wide. I mean, it's that thick. And it gets ripped when Jesus makes an offering on the cross. <laughs> is that the lamb is the high priest. In the New Testament reality. And when Jesus says it is finished, he has paid the sin debt for humanity. And the Bible said that the veil tore from top to bottom. Notice the veil didn't tear from the bottom up. Because no man is going to tear something like that. No. So God's got to tear this veil. And so later Judaism kind of got a hold of this and they started saying, this isn't just a picture of a curtain or separation between us and God. This is a picture of the heavens themselves and it's trying to show us the place where God lives. So when he rips this, he's literally saying that there's no separation, that everywhere you go, if you're a child of God, there is literally an open heaven over you. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I walked into Presbyterian church this morning. I'm saying there's an open heaven over your life all the time. And it never ceases and it never stops. 
And so what the devil wants to do is get you so distracted about how bad and terrible everything is, you don't walk into the reality of the open heaven that's around you at all times. Yeah, that's what he wants to do. He wants to keep you in the dark. I love that moment where... <laughs> this is the coolest. Holy Spirit just drops something in your heart sometimes. But do you remember that moment to where, I think it was James and John are arguing with Jesus on, hey, can we sit on your right hand or in your left hand when you come into glory? <laughs> he says, well, that's not for me to grant. That's for the Father. But you know what they didn't understand? Is Jesus was going to be enthroned on a cross. And there would be someone on his right and someone on his left. See, we don't even know what we're asking for sometimes. Be careful. Because when you don't know this king, you'll ask for things. And, and be careful what you're asking for. He said, that's not for me to give. I don't know who's going to be on my right and my left when I'm raised in glory. But this baptism that I have and this cup that I have, you're going to drink it. Yeah. What was he saying? Oh, yeah, you're going to have the same sufferings as me, big boy. <laughs> yeah. You want to be a king? Uh, look, like, look at Jesus, okay? Hey, we're in a dark world. But we got the light, man. We got the light. And we can pierce it. We can overcome. Even our death is a victory. So what do we have to lose? What do we have to lose? We're trying to play it safe? Come on. We got a good God. We need to make him look good. Make him look good with your life. Make him look good with your life. So Jesus just went ahead and ripped this as the high priest. So at some kind of moment, he dies on the cross. The rocks quake and the rocks rip and things happen. The, the, the veil rips. And Jesus comes back here and makes an offering. And the offering that he makes is so good, we never have to deal with this thing ever again in our life. Now get this. Yeah. Now check this out. So not only does he deal with that as our high priest, he calls us a community of kings and priests. Yeah, so he calls us a community of kings and priests. So now, as our forerunner, he doesn't just enter behind the curtain. He says, I'm a forerunner telling you where you need to come and where you need to be. So when the author of Hebrews is talking about this thing, he's saying, look, you've got a hope that's anchored behind and never leaves the very throne of God. Yeah. And some of us are walk around like the USS Minnow. In a three-hour tour, and we lost and everywhere else. And God's saying, what are you lost for? I got you anchored behind the throne. See, it's something about being anchored. Because whatever you've tied yourself to is going to chart your course. And the Bible tells us that there's only one thing that's unshakable, and that's the kingdom of God. Everything is going to be shaken in the last day. Everything is going to upturn and upheave. And what's left that hadn't moved off the board, well, that's the kingdom of God. Yeah. 
So I don't know about you, but I'm going to tie myself to the kingdom of God. And I'm going to take God at his word. Yeah. So some of us, we anchor ourselves to finances. And we're only happy if our finances are doing well. Oh, it's quiet in here. My God. Come on now. Come on. But how many of you know the stock market's got a thing about correcting itself? And I've never seen a straight line as long as I've been alive on the stock market. I've always seen dips and raises. So if we tie ourselves to that, sounds like we're going to go up and down with how that thing moves. Some of us tie ourselves to our kids. And instead of stepping into our own identity, we project onto them our own failures and try to keep them from doing what we did. And so they have to have the pressure not only of them growing up stepping into their calling, but to step into yours and your identification for them too. So we tie them all up into all kinds of stuff. And then we get pulled around all over the country and nobody knows nothing about God. Okay. It's mom's day. I know. I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to take it easy. We will move on. But I'm serious. We never ask ourselves the question, what does my life say that's most important to me? We just live our lives. And then we wake up and we're 50, 60 years old and we think, uh, what happened? What happened? Some of us tie ourselves to friends. <laughs> and some of you got some faithful friends. But they're just faithful enough just to consistently keep you down. <laughs> some of you need to trade in your faithful friends for some faith-filled friends. That'll pull you back into alignment and remind you where your tide and where your anchor is. Yeah. So, sounds like if I'm a child of God, I'm anchored into a really good place. Josh, come up here. You're always my guinea pig, so. So Jesus here, get behind that veil, Jesus. Bossing Jesus around. What's up with that? And so the Bible says I'm anchored. You know what an anchor does? It looks like it's holding, holding me back. But in actuality, it's keeping me grounded to a place I need to be. Yeah. It's kind of like when you're fishing and there's like a sweet spot. You drop anchor so that you don't veer or set your trolling motor. These fancy boats that are out now set a trolling motor that'll keep you in the same GPS positioning system. Crazy. And you set that because you don't want to leave that spot because that's where the fish are. And so it's like, here's the sweetest spot in the world. And God has come in to a place where we couldn't go as our forerunner. Tie yourself in there. And he's anchored us to a place that's behind this curtain that he's ripped. So do you kind of get the theme here? Like Jesus has kind of done everything for us. <laughs> yeah. 
Have you ever seen these parents walking these kids with these leashes? Yes. I'm like, I'm never going that far. If you do that, I'm just going to tell you right now, just li- right now, you just go right now. You just leave this fellowship. My wife tried to pull that out. I said, we are not tying up no kids like a dog on a leash. We are not doing that. I get it. I get it. Just email me Monday if you had a problem with that, because I'm, I'm going to enjoy today. I got a birthday of moms coming over, so you just leave me alone today, okay? Let me have the day. So, I've been anchored behind the curtain in this holy place that um, only one man could go once a year. And now I've been empowered and anchored in this place to be there for as long as I want, for as much as I want all the time. And that's why I tell people, you're as close to God as you want to be. Well, what do you mean? Well, go after him. You got your life, set your sails towards his heart and go after him. Go after him. You're still waiting on somebody else when you're tied to Jesus. You ain't tied to everybody else. You're not tied to me. Okay. You're not tied to grandma. You're tied to Jesus. So it sounds like We need to go where our forerunner is going. And that's in the throne room of God where we can be anytime we want. Yeah. So Jesus has done it all. He says, man, you've been seated with me in heavenly places. Oh, I have? Hmm, doesn't feel like it. Well, I need to get some throne room glimpses. That's why John said in Revelation, God tells him, come up here. (laughs) He's saying, I need to change your perspective. Because if you can get down in here too much, you're not going to have my heart and not going to have eyes of the throne room that can report to people the glory that I have in store for them. So we've been anchored behind this curtain. Uh, One of the root words for anchor would mean a bent arm. Okay? A bent arm. In other words, a flexed arm. So we're anchored behind this curtain. We have this hope behind this curtain. We've been anchored in this hope. And Jesus is there with a picture of a flexed arm saying, I've got you right where I want you. And you know you felt this. You know you felt it. We've all gotten our feelings and gotten the flesh. Come on. Ain't nobody all holy in here. Come on now. We're We're all children in this thing. And so, you know, you just got a bad attitude. Well, so-and-so, I'm tired of them old fake, all them hypocrites in church. I don't even know why I served there. Pitiful. Worship's pitiful. Everything's pitiful. I'm just tired of this place. And then I... Oh, yeah. I have this hope. That's anchored behind the throne. It ain't about me. It ain't about my preferences. It's about me getting behind that curtain in the throne room of God. Here we go, moms. These kids are killing me. Husband's so dumb, ignoring me all the time. I'm over it, man. They lucky I hang around here. 
washing these dirty drawers and can't get nobody to pick up nothing after nobody. I'm just tired of this place. Feels like my work is just menial. Just feels menial. All right, Jesus, don't let me go too far. Okay. <laughs> out here's where they'll come punch me, man. You gotta get me before I get out here. Okay? And then I feel that tug. Oh, oh, hold on here. Hold on here. Wait, I'm anchored to something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I've got this hope behind this anchor. Oh, man. Some people in the throes of addiction are thinking, man, you know, I'm trying to be faithful, man. But you know what? Nobody's watching. It ain't paying off. Nothing's going my way. Nothing's going my way in the court systems. Just doesn't seem I can't find a job. I can't, I just can't. Nothing's working. You know what? Out there I had friends. Out there I had people that forgave me. And, <laughs> yeah. People that would, you know, they were real friends out there, Josh. You know, yeah, they were real homeboys out there. Yeah. It's funny how when we leave Egypt, we start remembering all the good things that were back in Egypt. And right when I'm about to throw in the towel. Whoa. Hold on a second. Oh, yeah. I've got this hope that has anchored me behind the curtain. And I get brought back to my senses. This is the Christian life. Would you agree? Would you agree? This is the Christian life. And you know what that tug is pulling you? It's Jesus. It's Jesus behind the temple saying, Leave that place that you think you belong and come into this place to where you actually belong. That Jesus is the prototype for all humanity. As the first Adam brought all his sin, the second Adam brought all his life. Yeah. And if you're saved... You're not in first Adam. Quit living in your old identification. Start identifying with Jesus. If it doesn't look like Jesus, it's not Jesus. Okay? It's not. It's not your destiny. It's not him. Measure everything in your life. Does it look like Jesus? Or measure it this way. What would Jesus do? <laughs> that seems like a pretty... Oh, that's a catchy phrase. I should put that on a break. break. <laughs> But I will, I'll make a WW. Okay, I'll work that out later. But. Hmm. I'm having fun, okay? So let's just. But this is the reality. This is the place. This is everything Jesus did was to bring us into that reality is that we're tied behind the curtain. And every time I drift, and every time I reach the end of my rope, I feel a tug. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah, that's right. Thank you, Jesus, for those gentle tugs. It's like that footprints in the sand, you know? 
like, why was there only one set of footprints? Well, that's where I carried you. And it's like, oh, why is this, uh, what are these two long dragging lines behind me? Oh, that's where I drug you. You want lesson? Yeah, but, but you know what I found out? The more I encounter him, the less I want to drift. And if you'll quit drifting, you'll quit feeling the tension all the time. Because some of you live out here and you're just in constant tension of Jesus pulling on you. And this is what you look like in your Christian walk. If you'll get a revelation of how good he is and how wonderful he is, you don't have to live in tension. You can just stay behind here. You can just stay behind here. You don't have to go. Like this is the tension in your life that you're not giving your all to him. This is the tension. So if you'll just go where you belong, look, no tension. And that's why when you see people living free and living happy and living free and freedom and they've got joy and the Holy Ghost all over them, they're not living in tension They're not at the end of this rope all the time trying to figure out ways to sabotage the good things that God wants to do for them. They just would rather cooperate with God and say, God, let's just do what you want to do, man. I'm I'm back here with you. And so this is the place. The most holy place became the place that we're tied to. They used to tie the high priest in to drag him out if he died in there. Now Jesus tied us in there so we couldn't drift too far and we would stay there. Yeah, he's just turned it all upside down. So this is just the beautiful gospel. God ain't worried about just forgiving you of your sins. He's calling you behind the curtain. He's calling you to the private place, man. He's calling you to a place where angels dare to tread. And he's saying, I've made it okay. Jesus, our forerunner, says, come on, follow me in there. Follow me in there. Follow me in. He's tugging on you. He's tugging on you. He's put people in your life. And that's part of his lifeline of tugging on you. Hey, you're tied in here. I need you to pay attention. He's pulling on you. He's got good things for you. That nothing beats a relationship with him. I'm sorry. Nothing beats it. It's not preacher talk. That's just real life. And he's called you into this thing with him. And he's tied you to himself. So that every time you try to drift, he pulls you back. Says, come home. What are you doing? The most sacred place has now become home. (laughs) Come home. Would you bow your heads with me?